Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Father, even a refugee running away from his circumstances. In the midst of darkness, he had an encounter with you. Jacob looked up and said, behold, this is the very portal of heaven, the doorway of heaven. A circumstance and his setting was in sanitized and sterilized. But that clearly was Bethel. And that was a doorway and an opening to heaven and an encounter. Tonight, whatever the circumstance and the setting is, tonight we ask that you would open up a doorway, a portal for your sons and daughters to experience. At the end of this meeting, when we leave this place, let this be the words on our lips. I have tasted and seen the goodness of God. I have had an encounter with God. Because, Father, if we don't have an encounter, our services are meaningless. It's just religion. So, Father, we give you permission. We ask and we plead and we ask of you that you would evacuate religion from the building and introduce encounter, introduce intimacy. And so to even our new brothers and sisters who've joined us tonight, we ask, Lord, that we would offer to them a place of encounter, an opportunity to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He alone has the words of life. Where else will we turn to God? Because you alone have the words of life. You are the bread of life. You are our living water. And so we lean into you, into your lap, because good things are in your hands and treasures forevermore. So we thank you. We give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may take your seat. I love you guys. I love being here. Um. So what if you don't have the biggest church? You've got the loudest voice. So what if you don't have the biggest band? You sing louder than ever before. You sing louder, your praise higher. You pray with conviction. And that is the body of Christ. It's got a beating heart. And you can airdrop it into Afghanistan and ISIS will be kicked out. That's the kind of church we need to be a part of. And you are that church. And that's the kind of church that birth needs. And you are that church. That's the kind of church that Western Australia needs. Not to dig up treasures from under the earth, but here's treasure in jars of clay. And you are that church. That's the kind of church that Australia needs. The great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And you are that church. That's bonus. Take it. Awesome. Whew. Awesome. Um, just want to share... Um, Something that God's put on my heart for you guys as you celebrate a milestone. For 730 days, the enemy has been trying to strangle this church. As you finish two years, he's been hard at work. But so has God. And we celebrate today that God has prevailed. Not man, God has prevailed. Not our strategy, God has prevailed. Not a brand, God has prevailed. And so I just want to encourage you to be leaning in, buckle your seatbelt, and away we go. Do you have your Bibles with you? Like the hard-bound Bibles? 
some of those digital people are looking at me with eyes of condemnation. Nah, I love you guys. Let's do a bit of reading. Let's do a bit of heavy lifting. I'll read quick and you can follow along. Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 to actually the whole chapter. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's our second anniversary. Why not? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that they drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Just note that. Who gave them names? The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the ch chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in a worse condition than the youths of your own age? So on it goes. You know the story. They get tested. These guys go on this amazing diet of vegetables and water. Ten days later, they look better. And at the end of ten days... Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen they were better in appearance. Just underline that, better in appearance and fatter in flesh, like me, than all of the youths who ate the king's food. I've been on a Daniel fast, believe it or not. So the, so the steward took away the food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found. Just underline that. <clears throat> like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better, underlined ten times better than all of the other magicians and enchanters that were all in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This evening, I want to talk to you about the kingdom identity. The kingdom identity. Interesting to note that as this church ushers itself into the third year, this story is unfolding in the third year of a dude named Jehoiakim. When I lived in Saudi Arabia, like Pastor 
Jason mentioned earlier. All the Muslims got one ID, a green color ID. It was like the green card. It was your national ID. All the non-Muslims got a brown ID. Everywhere you went, the green ID gave you freer access, better access, greater privilege, fairer um, judicial you know, oversight. When you wore that, when you had that brown ID, you were third class citizen. You were treated like the dirt of society and you got treated with contempt, you were ridiculed. And for all the rhetoric about racism in this country, I'm telling you, I witnessed racism firsthand and it was ugly. The question is, would I have loved to have the privilege of that green ID? I mean, I was in that country, I was born there and I deserved it. But because I worship God Almighty, I was known as a Christian, I got a brown ID. And over the 26 years that my dad pastored and ministered in that <clears throat> nation, hundreds of believers in the face of persecution and this daily racism and daily um, diminishing treatment, they switched over from the faith to become a Muslim. And all it took was a prayer and a confession and kids around here. And for the men, the snip snip. And then you became a Muslim. But it gave you a lifetime of access and privilege and better treatment and honor and dignity and value as a human being. This story begins with men who are dragged out of their homes from their family approximately between 14 and 17 years of age, not older than 17 years of age. And I speak this to my younger brothers and sisters. And they were dragged out of their homes and they were dragged out of their families to, to a foreign place. And they were subjected to some of the most cruel torture. They watched the king and, and the royalty being tortured. They watched people being killed and slain. And yet in the midst of this new world order that was being pushed onto these guys, they had a choice. What is the identity we will live out? And I'm here to say every Christian has that choice today. This story is not you know, isolated to the time of Daniel and his friends. This is the same story that plays out every year, every day to every believer in this city. And so I'm here on assignment to speak to you about the kingdom identity. The account of this story begins with the siege of Jerusalem. The king is taken captive along with the vessels in the temple of God and some of the nobility. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, proceeds to bring about the destruction of the remnant of Israel. These were God's chosen people. He destroyed their temple, their culture, and their customs. And caught in the crossfire of obedience or disobedience, prophecy, and punishment is a righteous young man. And when this new world order tried to put a strangle on them, they were left with a choice. And the first thing we read, the first choice that these men made is in verse 8. They remained resolved. 
And so to every believer, this is the first thing we can understand from the story. You remain resolved. Verse 8 says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or wine. At the crossroad of opportunity and opposition, this young man's attitude to the whole circumstance is summed up in just three words. But Daniel resolved. The word resolved means firmly determined to do something. It is the opposite of compromise. Everything in life and this society we live in is designed to test your resolve, your circumstances, your tragedies, your past, your unanswered prayers, your family, your workplace issues, your finances, your relationships and the pressures are all designed to make you compromise and cave in. And the Bible has plenty of stories of characters who caved in. Let me give you a few. Adam. Here's an apple. Esau. Some porridge, please. Compromise. Aaron. Pressure of we want a God. He's like, you got it. Samson. Delilah's hair was magical. Judas. 30 silver coins. Compromise. Ananias and Sapphira. That deception. Sitting in their hearts. But in the midst of a quest for survival, we see. And this story speaks to us as believers. That Daniel resolved that he would not take part in what the king had to offer. Daniel made a choice. That this would not be a new diet that he was making. It was an absolute determination that God would remain his provider and keeper, not Nebuchadnezzar. You know, it was common practice back in the days that the food coming to the royal palace was first offered to idols. And D Daniel knew this. And Daniel made it his absolute resolve that he would not partake of it, even if he had to starve himself. And why does this food being offered to idols matter to Daniel? Because he knew the law. He knew the scriptures and the reverence for that scripture that says, do not eat food offered to idols. That was a mosaic law that was given to the people. And that was something that was sacred for them. He was not unfamiliar with the level of consecration required as a man of God. God had called his people to a level of consecration and Daniel knew where the bar was. And in the midst of opposition, Daniel made a resolve that I'm not going to lower the bar for myself. And today I'm here to encourage you. Many a times you will be forced to contend with where the bar is and where you want to be. But da like Daniel, let's make a resolve that we will not hold ourselves below the bar we will hold ourselves to where the word of God says. Daniel grew up in a very ungodly place. He didn't grow up in a very good environment. The nation had turned its back on God. There were all kinds of evil practices. But you may ask this question, what was it about these guys that made them unique? Well, I'll tell you. Daniel and his friends were birthed in revival. 
King Josiah, if you keep going back in, in history, a few years before this incident, when this thing is playing out, King Josiah was one of the most upright God, kings to have ever ruled the nation. It was under his reign that idolatry was abolished. And they found the word of God, they dusted up the, the Torah, they dusted up the, the scriptures, and they had it given the rightful prominence and reverence in society. And all the evil practices of the previous generations were kicked out. And you see that in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 22. I'm here to say that revival is in a series of long meetings. Revival is in a series of long, loud meetings, but it is the heartbeat of every New Testament believer. It is the power available to every believer to live a life that is resolved and uncompromised in the scripture. In a corrupt world, don't think revival is the only thing that happens in Melbourne. Revival spirit lives inside of every one of you. As long as you have the Holy Spirit, revival spirit is inside of you. And in a corrupt world like this, and in our society, how do you live a life of revival? Well, tune into the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. If Daniel's resolve can be, could be attributed to his upbringing in a short-lived, small-gap revival, every New Testament believer has been birthed in an unstoppable revival started by Jesus Christ himself. For 2,000 years, everyone has tried to stop this thing. Uh, let me tell you something. This train ain't stopping, baby. Revival isn't stopping. It isn't not, it's not a new phenomenon. It's not a Bethel thing. It's not an America thing. It's not a Melbourne thing. It is for every New Testament believer. Revival is the very blueprint of how a believer in the New Testament, a new covenant believer, how they're supposed to live their lives is called revival. Being revived. Being restored. If the next generation should have any resolve, it must be raised in revival. Can I encourage every parent here, speak to your children about the Word of God. Teach them the Word of God. Pray with them. Worship with them. Help them to be a good host of revival. Tell them that the only way to live is in a revival spirit. You look at the vision of our church. Now I know over, over the last four years, a few people have Oh, by the way, being the pastoral pillar head means all the complaints come to the pastoral pillar head. That is why I have nothing left up here. <clears throat> For every complaint email I've read, one hair falls off. <clears throat> and COVID was certainly interesting. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that people get stumbled up, why plant 200 churches? Are we about expansionism? Are we about taking this brand across the ends of the earth. No, have you read the rest of the script, uh, the vision statement? Plant 200 churches for a reason. Why? Carrying a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. I haven't seen a vision statement more aligned to the Great Commission. Because you're not all about taking ground and making churches or planting churches. You're about making disciples everywhere you go. And you do that with a spirit of revival. You don't do it with the excellence of man. You don't do it with the perfectionism of an obsession with perfectionism. You do it with a spirit of revival. You know what I like about this church here? Things could go up in flames and you still be singing. 
Jesus, let not that happen. But whether the guitar had six strings or three strings, you'd still be singing. Whether Jason had a voice or no voice, you'd still be singing. And that's what I like about this church. You guys have so much opposition against you being a church here in this city. Be it the venue, be it the time, be it the climate, be it this, be it that. But you're still a revival church. And never let go of that identity. Never let go of that identity. And like Daniel, can I encourage you, remain resolved. Remain resolved. Not on a Sunday, but on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every day, every hour, remain resolved. The second thing that you see what these men did here is that they retained their identity. When you look at the scripture here, these guys already had a name. They had a passport. They had an ID card. But the minute they crossed the borders, the first thing they say is, I'm going to give you new names. So Daniel, they gave them the name Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Bednego. The first thing the king's oversight does is to give the guys a new passport and a new identity. When their parents named them these names, these names were meant to glorify God. Daniel essentially means, in the Hebrew language, Elohim, or God is my judge. Whereas Belteshazzar means Baal's prince. And Baal was the principal god of Babylon. Hananiah means Yahweh, or God is gracious. But Shadrach means friend of the king. Mishael means who is like Elohim or who is like God. But Meshach means worshiper of Shak, another deity. Azariah means Yahweh or God is my helper. Abednego means servant of Nigo. While the Israelites named their children to reflect the character of God and their identity in God, the Babylonians were giving them a new identity that referenced paganism. In verse 11 and 9 of this, 19 of this scripture that we read, these men retain their identities. They, don't, they didn't want to be known by new names. You can change a Jack to a Jones, but I still want to be referred to as Jack. And so in the scripture, they said, thanks for the new names, but we still want to be known by our Hebrew names. Everything around us, particularly our culture, wants to shape our identity. It wants us to question our place in society, who we are, our sexuality, our thinking. It wants to influence in how we date and courtship and all of that. And it's gotten in. It's gotten in the church. It wants to make us mimic their social media practices. And why does this battle of identity matter? Because the first page of the Bible begins with an answer to the question of identity. And God made man in his own image. That settles it. That settles the debate. It settled the debate then, it settles the debate today. And time and time again, season after season, in every century and in every continent, this debate about our identity surfaces up. They will tell you, you are not this. Are you really this? Are you really born this way? It'll want you to question the way you are made by God. 
But these men, when they were being given a new name and a new identity, they said, no, thanks. We will still be called by the name that God gave to us. And so today I'm here on mission to say to the church and to this body of brothers and sisters, when they come to question your identity, retain your God-given identity. Anything that seeks to undermine the fact that you and I are God's image, his handiwork and creation, you must confront it and you must reject it. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What's Paul saying? In making reference to this, the Greek word Paul's using is stoichia. In his letters to the New Testament believers, every single time he uses the elementary principles of the world, he refers to this word, stoichia. Stoichia is not just what you read in the newspaper. Stoichia is not just policies given to you by the government. It is also your upbringing. It's the way you were formed in your home. It's sometimes the brokenness that you witnessed in your home. It is sometimes the past experiences that you've had. It is your educational system. It is society around you. It's your neighborhood. Everything is trying to mold you into its image. Everything is trying to take you like a lump of clay and form you into something. But the Bible says rejected. Anything other than what Christ says you are, you must reject it. If you want to go to the third year, the fourth year, the sixth year, and the next decade, and the next generation as a church, you must retain your identity. Anything other than Christ is stoichia. And it only belongs in one place, in the bin. And anything that attempts to deviate you from the image of Christ is to be rejected. The third thing that you see here, these boys resisted assimilation. Verses 4, 5, 17, and 20. The aim of the Chaldean captors was to teach them their language, their literature, their culture for the next three years. Culture is shaped by defining what is honored and what is dishonored. It is in literature that you idolize characters that shape culture. And language is a vehicle that communicates this culture. It is for these reasons that the Chaldeans said, boys, we're going to put you on a bachelor's degree program. For the next three years, we're going to teach you our culture, our language, our customs, and our traditions. Daniel and his friends resolved that though they lived in Babylon, they would not let Babylon get inside of them. Even Bonnie M. wrote a song about this, By the Rivers of Babylon. Am I too old for this thing? There we sat down, yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. They said, sing us one of your songs. We said, no way. The truth is that every believer is a foreigner here on earth. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Our culture, our language, our attitudes, our passions, our pursuits must be shaped by the teaching of Christ. And therefore, we must resist assimilation into human ideology. Now, that doesn't mean every Tuesday I'm out there protesting. That doesn't mean I'm wearing a placard saying everybody goes to hell except for me. 
We must take up after the model of Jesus. Some debates are not to be debated at all. They asked Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Are all these things true? What did he offer them? Silence. And so you need to partner with the Holy Spirit to understand times and seasons and what is the appropriate response. God didn't engage us to be on a constant battle, on a war footing with everything and every time and with everyone. God has engaged us to do one thing and one thing alone, the Great Commission. Because if we are salt and light to a broken world, we must make disciples. And the mission should be about God's mission, not about our opinion. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 20. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we all await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, if our citizenship be in heaven, then we are aliens here. We are strangers and foreigners. Pilgrims and sojourners in the earth as all our fathers were. The church of Jesus Christ is a colony of heaven here on earth. And it can only be governed and run according to the constitution of the kingdom of God that it represents. And as hard as it is to acknowledge this, over the last few decades, you and I would have witnessed the tolerance to assimilating the views of the dominant culture of the world, even in the church sphere. What's the reason for that? Well, they call it relevance. They call it significance. And they call it influence. What was once unshakable truth is now apparently being deconstructed as new truth or relevant truth. But as Daniel and his friends soon learned, once you're tested on your assimilation, the next thing is you will be tested on your worship. And so we too live in an empire that seeks to enforce its worship of self and materialism upon us. And upon the sound of its worship, its flags and its banners and its anthem, it seeks to enforce that practice upon us. And everyone must fall prostrate. Everyone who fails to bow down to that tune and beat is earmarked for destruction. But I have good news. The Christian cannot be cancelled. The flame didn't take them out then. The flame will not take you out. The book of Daniel is an encouragement to every believer facing the heat of today's Babylon. That God's comprehensive cover of your life will ensure that you don't get burned. You won't get singed. And you won't even come out of it smoke, smelling like smoke. And if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost fire, no other furnace can take you out. I say this with all my heart to encourage you as, a, as someone who grew up in the underground church. A little bit of opposition never hurt the church. It only made it thrive. We're that kind of, we're that kind of organism that multiplies Increase the pressure, we shine like a diamond. Increase the opposition, we sing louder. And so you and I are part of the body of Christ 
that is not put out by a fire because we are birthed in the fire. And so today I want to tell you all, resist that assimilation. Resist the temptation of being relevant. Resist that temptation of being significant. Because it says in the Bible that although he was the son of God himself, he took it upon himself to make himself of no relevance and took upon himself the form of a servant, the lowliest of classes in society. And he went to the worst form of execution as a prisoner and as a criminal. Two years ago, this church was birthed in Perth to bring revival. It was birthed and planted with the purpose of bringing repentance, surrender, and drawing all men and women to their first love in Christ. It was planted with the express intent that we would find a place we can confess our sins without condemnation. That we can reject every idol that stands in the way. And we can break off and shake off the fear of man. The dominant culture outside these walls wants to wage war against that very thing that God has invested in you to bring. But I must say, Numa Perth South is consecrated in its resolve to follow Christ. It is resolved in it to retain its identity in Christ. And it will resist its assimilation into the world. What Numa Perth South needs is not another New Year resolution or a new program, but a lifelong kingdom identity forged in consecration and revival. Can I encourage you? When you walk into this building, you're not sitting in a space that is less relevant. You're sitting in a place which is a portal. And that was my prayer at the start. This is the picture that I saw. A Jacob running away from his issues. A Jacob running away from his problems. All he needed was a little space to put his head on. But it's in that very place he encountered God. Can I encourage you? You might be walking into this classroom that throughout the week is used to spew things that are anti-God. But know this, when you enter through this place, when you enter through these doors, it becomes the portal of heaven. And when you gather in this place, though these buildings were not designed to host the presence of God, when God's children walk up, it becomes a portal to heaven. It becomes a doorway to experience the fullness of Christ. It becomes a window to experience the power and presence of the Almighty God. So I want to encourage you, as the war on identity is, is getting hotter and hotter, I want to encourage us. Let's make a resolve. Let's make a stand. Let's make a stand that we will not compromise, that we will remain resolved. We will retain our identity and we will resist every attempt of the enemy to make us amalgamate with the culture of this world. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, 
and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.